Hello, everybody. Welcome to Alien Talk Podcast, a program where we discuss all things about aliens and UFOs and where we push the limits of our understanding. We are Joe Landry and Lori Olford, your hosts for the show, and we thank you for being with us today. In this episode, we're going to talk about art and some of the weird anomalies that are found in a lot of the ancient and medieval works, uh, including from the Renaissance masters like Da Vinci. So hi there, Lori. Uh, I must say this is one time I really wish we had a YouTube channel so we can show everyone what we're talking about with some of these artwork samples. Oh, yeah. Hi, Joe. Yeah, you're right about that. A uh, picture is worth a thousand words. And uh, some some of these images and art pieces are, are really intriguing to look at. And while we're not on Utah, YouTube as of yet, uh, Joe and I are in the process of trying to get that to happen. Uh, we'll certainly have these displayed on Facebook and Instagram pages. So all of you can take a peek at what examples we're talking about concerning UFOs being in them. In many of these cases, we don't understand fully why the artist put what they did, if it was intentional or accidental. And if it was intentional, as many of them seem to be, what message were they trying to convey? Exactly. Even famous pieces have flaws in them, you know, uh, mistakes with the brush, uh, brush strokes imperfections with color blending, errors with depth perception or depth depiction. Uh, many people claim that Da Vinci's Mona Lisa, uh, that in that portrait, the eyes are too close together. Or in Correggio's uh, the assumption of the virgin, that the clouds look to be too solid, they're like, like rocks. Um, they're often just the subject of criticisms of uh, expert opinion. But the spectacles that have been called into question are, are actual things that are out of place in terms of space and time. Uh, if they are indeed objects, then they are anachronistic. No flying or hovering thing should have been seen in the sky before the invention of aircraft. So if we're seeing what seems to be flying objects, such as disks and spheres, you have to ask why they were put there. Are they representing something actually visible to everyone at the time the art was completed? Or are they communicating some notion, some principle, or some construct through symbols? And if so, what are they trying to say to the viewer? So in examining some medieval and Renaissance artwork, we come across quite a few of such oddities. So we also, we also of course, find it in older and more ancient works, like, like uh, from the Greeks, Egyptians, the uh, Babylonians, as well as Native Americans and Mesoamericans. And, and we'll discuss those as well. But with some of these paintings, uh, there are some curious things that stand out. Yeah, definitely. Uh, they are incongruities that are almost unsettling to look at because they appear to be so much like flying saucers. And flying saucers, in our minds, don't belong in classical paintings from long ago. Of course, in modern day art, we see UFOs and aliens all the time on book covers, and comics, and on movie posters. But we tend to think that they were not rendered in the works from the past, yet we do indeed find them. Uh, take the one that I think to be the most eerie and the most disconcerting, and that is the Madonna with St. Giovannino uh, by Girolandio. Uh, it's a fresco that was done sometime in the 15th century in Florence, and it shows the Virgin Mary and the baby Jesus, along with the infant Giovannino. It was popular in Italian paintings back then to put important people of the time as being in the scenes with Mary, Jesus, the apostles, and other figures from the Bible. 
it was a way to show their blessedness and uh, their godly right to power and appointed positions. And you see uh, that in a lot of those paintings, especially from places like Florence and Milan and, and Venice, where it's a scene with someone like Moses or the three Magi. And then there are these other people who are around them, and they are mostly the aristocrats of the time. So Giovannino was a contemporary influential priest, um, priest who became canonized uh, as a saint, and he got the honor of being painted in with the virgin mother and child. So anyway, this piece has what at first glance uh, seems to be a smudge on the blue sky background. Uh, really, you're almost tempted to just dismiss it as your eyes take you to the main portion of the scene. But when you look closely at the smudge, you see that it's not actually a smudge. It's something that was deliberately painted into the sky. And careful inspection shows it to be a weird-looking object, possibly an orb, with strange features on it, almost uh, like it's showing some structural detail, like these spiky and swirly things on it. Um, you might need a magnifying glass to look closely at it. What's even stranger is that in, in the background, appearing very small, far behind the Virgin Mary, there is a man and a dog in a distance near a, a wall, and they're both looking up at the apparition in the sky. And the man is either pointing at it, or he is shielding his eyes from the sunlight so as to be able to observe it more clearly. Yeah, I agree with you that the, the man in the background does appear to be shading uh, his, his eyes and looking toward it. And, uh, and, and that's why uh, you can, uh, you, that's why you know that that, that smudge is not, is not accidental. It's like it was put there uh, for that reason. And, and, he, and the, the artist is showing that guy looking at it. So if you zoom in on it, like by using a magnifying glass, like you said, um, it appears that the faint whites, that there's a faint white streak that is behind it. Um, and it may be more like a, a contrail swoosh, uh, like the ones from jet aircraft instead of a cloud. So this is weird. Uh, it seems that uh, Gerlandio actually wanted this feature to be in his painting and it meant something, but what? So we have no statements from him as to why this is there. And we're left to presume that it has some association with the spiritual theme of the artwork. And we know that orbs and halos appear in a lot of Christian art, and they signify the presence of the divine and the supernatural. They are also meant to illustrate gateways, openings, or portals into heaven, sometimes with angels and cherubs coming forth. This thing may be representing just such a gateway but it could be that stories told about gateways in the sky are none other than stories of unidentified flying objects and really the depiction of disc and orbs is quite prevalent in antiquity uh, we see it in many of the hieroglyphics honoring the pharaoh at Naten. and they are often meant to be the sun but sometimes there is a disc and it's not supposed to be the sun as it is shown with wings, probably representing either the, the deification of the sun or the deification of the pharaoh. So here, it's the circular shape itself that is of importance in the hieroglyphics. Yeah, as for Gerlandio, uh, he seemed to like putting these smudges in his paintings. In his adoration of the Magi and adoration of the Christ, or I'm sorry, adoration of the child, 
um, there are strange marks on the blue skies. And if he meant for these to be angels, he doesn't show them the way most artists did. It's like he's trying to make a make it a secret. Uh, and you also have to notice that these, you know, these medieval and Renaissance painters show the scenes in their native lands. I mean, look at these. Uh, these don't correctly illustrate places like Jerusalem or Bethlehem or Egypt. Uh, those scenes are of Tuscany. So these artists are just using people and locations of their own surrounding towns and villages and taking the content of religious stories into creating their frescoes. The question becomes, how did they get the idea of putting in these flying smudgy orbs? They seem to want to let the viewer know that the scene being observed is a divine and spiritual one, and the discs and orbs in the sky somehow relay that meaning. So in uh, The Annunciation with St. Amidius by Carlo Crivelli from 1486, we see another thing in the sky that definitely appears much less like a quick brush stroke and, and much more like a hovering craft. This is an altarpiece in the church of Ascoli Pacino, and it has on it what looks to be what most of us would call a flying saucer, perhaps a flying saucer from a, a 1950s movie, but a flying saucer nonetheless. It is in the sky, and there is what looks to be a laser beam striking the Virgin Mary who is uh, supposed to be, uh, she's in the bedroom of her house, kneeling as though in prayer or genuflection. Uh, this is depicting or supposedly depicting the Holy Spirit coming out of heaven and making contact with Mary's body. But it looks so high tech, you're, you're almost prone to think that it's a, a modern day alteration to the painting. Yeah, um, this has the hallmark of an abduction account. And uh, where it is often said that a bright light is seen coming from the sky or entering through a window. So I think the message being communicated here seems to be that the mystery of the Annunciation is an uh, extraterrestrial event. Now, of course, that's not at all how the church doctrine would explain it, per se. But if the conception of Jesus was not through human means, then uh, it, it is by definition, even if by default, something extraterrestrial, something beyond this earth. So it seems to me that this artist had perhaps been taught something secret surrounding the idea of the holiness and godliness of Mary and Jesus. With all of these details that we're noticing, it's like there are too many coincidences to be a coincidence. Uh, they seem to serve a purpose of which the artists uh, were quite aware of. And also, whatever these things are, the painters don't seem to want them to dominate or overpower the subject. They seem to be put there deliberately, yet they're subdued to the main theme, which is Mary, Jesus, and the angels. That's supposed to be the focus of the picture. Now, there's one that I find even more bizarre, and that is the crucifixion of Christ, completed in 1350. It's a fresco on the wall above the altar in the Orthodox Christian Monastery of Vesoki Dakani in Kosovo. Uh, this painting has two fireball-looking objects near the top left and right corners. Upon closer examination, we see they look more like Sputnik satellites. And even more peculiar, uh, there are guys inside of them, and it appears to depict two possible spacecraft. Uh, one is on the left top corner, and the other is on the top right. 
it, it looks as though there are pilots inside them. Um, and they're not even wearing the, the typical religious garb uh, for that time period either. Now, some believe that these are depictions of the sun left and the moon, which is on the right. If you place your thumb over the person inside of the right one, it looks like a half moon. The question I have, though, is why is there a person inside of both of them? Uh, the lift is more rounded in the front and kind of looks more like a comet. But then again, what's the significance of a person being inside it, right? Um, the right one has uh, a, a more aerodynamic point to the front and does resemble a craft of some type going in a direction with the engine blast behind it. So even to the medieval eye, uh, these look like two men being carried across the sky inside of some things. Yeah, it was pretty common for the ancients, particularly the pagans, to personify celestial bodies like the sun and moon. Um, but what occurred that made this to be part of their mental schemata? Um, so take Mithraism. Uh, Mithraism was a cult of the Persian god Mithras that was very widespread throughout the Roman Empire in the first and second centuries AD. And for a while, according to uh, Noah Weiner of the Biblical Archaeology, Biblical Archaeology Society, it actually acquired more converts than Christianity. Uh, there were also the mystery cults of Isis and Sybil, which also borrowed symbols for the sun from Egyptian mythology and incorporated them into their spiritual worldviews, much like how the provincial churches did, uh, which took root right beside the pagan traditions of European cities. So there are statues, bas-reliefs, and engravings in almost every cathedral and basilica that reveal this certain pagan undertone. Mithraism, of which there are shrines that have been discovered all around the Mediterranean countries, uh, it was loaded with astral imagery, uh, with the constellations, the seasons, uh, the sun and the moon, all being shown as anthropomorphic or zoomorphic. Uh, there is the symbolism of the slaying of the bull, a scene that shows Mithras stabbing a bull with a big sword so as to signify the end of the zodiacal age of the sign of Taurus, uh, which happened over 3,000 years ago, as we are now supposedly in the, the age of the sign of Aquarius, just like from that uh, 60s song by the fifth dimension. Uh, this is the dawning of the age of Aquarius. Um, yeah. So th this tells the viewer of the drawing uh, that a new era, and there's a new era uh, approaching within the heavens and on the earth. Uh, it is a picture meant to tell of the powers from above, changing the whole dynamics of the celestial bodies, powers that are extraterrestrial because they are from beyond our world. Now, quite often these images serve as a code because uh, perhaps because of something secret and, and hidden, something occultist uh, or apocryphal and some special wisdom learned by the ancient minds and yet it was forbidden by orthodoxy. So Christianity was no exception to this. It, it did the exact same thing, even in its showing of the effigies of the Lord God himself, like in Michelangelo's famous mural, Creation of Adam, on the ceiling of the Sistine Chapel. Uh, he also sculpted a marble statue of Moses with horns on his head, just like how the devil has. And there are many illuminated manuscripts from the Middle Ages that have the prophets and saints with horns on their heads. And this is something that is found in the beliefs of the Norse, the Celts, and the Egyptians to mean wisdom and power. So we see this kind of syncretism all the time with one religion borrowing ideas, symbols, and characters from one another. 
Uh, Christianity took many of the imagery components of the pagans and integrated them into their own themes. Thus, <clears throat> classical art is often saturated with illustrations of the heavens as being personified with human faces. Uh, there were controversies about this, of course, in that these kinds of pagan features conjured up impressions of idolatry. However, most of them were endorsed, in fact, uh, even commissioned by the papacy. So they held a, a strong significance in the preservation of, our, of the Jewish, um, of the Judeo-Christian belief system. And you know, an, another very fascinating work is also titled The Crucifixion of Christ. But this one is from the 1600s in the uh, um, Swiss Escobial Cathedral of Mesquita, Georgia. Uh, it has two saucer-shaped objects on either side of the cross. And it just says with the... the the Soki Dakani Monastery, uh, some think these represent the sun and moon. But why were the sun and moon made to look like this? It's quite easy to paint the sun and moon. Many artists have done it. And in some of these frescoes, the sun is already painted in as a regular orange or yellow ball in the sky. Uh, these two things are saucer shaped and seem to have domes on them. Uh, the sun is never going to be anything other than a, a full circle with the exception being, of course, during an eclipse. So why illustrate it in this way, unless, like you said, it's a code for something else, a hidden message, maybe? Right. I think they, uh, they look a little like jellyfish, almost uh, like the discs have sure. some sort of rays coming from underneath them. And if we were to wonder if the artists themselves were witnesses to these objects they are showing, uh, I would be more inclined to say no, they, they, they weren't witnesses to these uh, objects. So what um, they may very likely be doing is communicating to the viewer some secret knowledge of theology or metaphysics or perhaps uh, extraterrestrial life. One thing about religions um, is that they are packed full of local stories with every village, town, city, and province with their churches, synagogues, mosques, shrines, and temples. They all have their own tales to tell whether it's about miracles and visions or, you know, just the variations in the doctrinal teachings. And of course, these artists would have been immersed in these oral traditions, some of which probably included uh, some local clandestine lore that is unique to that particular region. Just consider the, uh, what's called the Eucharist miracle said to have happened in Paterno near Naples. It's, uh, which, which is, had this occurred in 1772 when thieves stole the consecrated host from the basilica uh, it was found about a month later on the farmland of the duke della grotella um, who kept seeing this white dove flying in circles around a specific spot uh, both in the daytime and in the nighttime supposedly the duke also saw an ethereal white light out in the field that caught his attention one night and when he went up over to that place he noticed a pile of cow manure on the ground from which the light seemed to be emanating Upon digging into the manure, he found the stolen host inside of it. The thieves put it there as a way to desecrate it. But miraculously, it was completely intact. Even though it was stashed inside a heap of poop for a month, no poop came into contact with it. It remained completely pure. So this is an example of parochial uh, uh, lore that when put to art, seems to portray the uh, presence of something otherworldly. Um, there are hundreds, if not thousands, of such tales 
which would be impressed upon painters to inspiration or uh, or inspire them to uh, to create the marvelous works they did. Um, but the question remains: From where did such local tales originate, and was there a purpose for preserving them in the form of art? The answer is most likely yes. And indeed, we find uh, peculiar stories even in the Bible, uh, such as in Matthew twenty-seven fifty-one to fifty-three. It says that the midday sky became as dark as night, and that the earth shook, and the rocks split, and the tomb and the tombs. Uh, broke open and, and did people came out and walked around. Now, when comparing these two paintings of the crucifixion of Christ, it seems that the artists were trying to encrypt something that is symbolic of an occurrence during the crucifixion, something that they learned about in secret and then tried to convey in their artwork, maybe? Yeah, a zombie apocalypse right there in the Christian canon. <laughs> uh, <laughs> there you go. <laughs> yep. So, yeah, there were dead people walking around and supposedly seen by many people. So, yeah, the Gospel of Matthew is the only source from which we get this sort of darker version of the crucifixion. Uh, and I would say it is very difficult to go with a literal rendition of it. The author of Matthew was trying to communicate to his Jewish readers that the life and death patterns caused by the fall of Adam had now been disrupted, that the very foundation of the world that brought about the necessity for the Levitical law was now shaken apart. He is trying to show God now had a new covenant with his people by which there is the hope of resurrection through faith in Jesus, not through the law of Moses. But this likewise speaks of events that are brought about not by nature or man, but from forces from beyond the earth, which by definition would be extraterrestrial beyond the earth. Could it be that these individuals who wrote, who wrote the scriptures uh, and who created these ecclesiastical masterpieces believe that something supernatural uh, and something extraterrestrial were one and the same thing? Uh, perhaps so, uh, even extending that comparison to include things spiritual and divine as uh, synonymous with things being extraterrestrial. Now, with, with these celestial uh characters in in the paintings that we're talking about some may say they they are angels shown in a different way but they look nothing like the description of of angels they don't look holy enough for a medieval person's taste uh, angels were always portrayed during this era which was to give them childish uh kind of faces and and dove-like wings and to make their looks uh, to seem far more perfect um, these uh, particular features uh, lack that quality. Now, think about what the Gospel of Luke says concerning the time of Christ's birth. The sky was said to be full, full and lit up by an angelic host. A host. It doesn't really say anything about their physical appearances, you know, their bodies. Um, we're left assuming that they look like how we think angels look from the way we've seen them in and in, in kind of artwork we're talking about. But we don't know at all what the shepherds actually saw with the sky being fully lit up by uh, this heavenly host that sings out peace on earth and goodwill unto men. This whole retold experience, mind you, uh, that it is not written as from an eyewitness account. Uh, it could have been a description of the misunderstood technology uh, that was seen in a UFO encounter. Uh, could the same thing be said 
of what was going on at the time of the crucifixion. Um, now there is some literary collaboration to this. Um, we have the Roman Jewish historian Josephus who uh, stated in the Wars of the Jews about how a comet circled the earth for an entire year, which comets just don't do. Uh, he also spoke about a light that descended over the city of Rome that resembled a sword and hovered above, above the city for about 30 minutes. So I, I think this lends credence to the idea of UFOs making their way into the local legends and oral traditions such such that the, uh, the artists would use that as a theme to illustrate in their paintings. Yeah, certainly. And when you look at the one titled The Miracle of the Snow, it shows the sky filled with what could be called a, a host or more accurately an armada of hovering discs. Uh, this one is uh, strange. <laughs> it's by Massimiliano yes. de Panicelli uh, from 1428 and is displayed in the Basilica of St. Mary Maggiore in Rome. Uh, and it commemorates an extremely rare once in a blue moon snowfall that supposedly took place in the summer of 352 A.D., and not only did it snow, it snowed on the exact spot at a Vescoline Hill, where the Virgin Mary told a nobleman in a dream where he was to build a church devoted to her. And it said that the snow remained until the plot for the building had been staked out. Uh, the whole thing seems highly, highly dubious. But there is a, a chance something once occurred uh, that was unexplainable to people at that time. And could it be that the discs in the painting may, be, may have been a part of that? UFO sightings are often associated with strange weather in some way. Uh, take, for example, how in October 1954, an egg-shaped object appeared over a soccer stadium in Florence, and a silvery glitter, uh, which looked like snowflakes, fell down from it. Now, this seems eerily similar to the miracle of the snow. Uh, and that egg-shaped craft seems to resemble our modern-day sighting of the Tic Tac UFO which was chased by fighter pilots off the San Diego coast um, back in 2004. Now, they described it in 1954 as looking like an egg because well, Tic Tac Britmans weren't around until 1969. Likewise, in the painting where Jesus and Mary, uh, where Jesus and Mary supposed to be thought of as, as flying the craft that they're on top of, uh, after all, to medieval European Christians, who else could be the ones flying something and flying in something in the sky, right? Yeah, and what's odd about them is not only their disc shape, but their orderly arrangement in the sky. Exactly. Um, they seem to be in a formation above the people on the ground. Now, of course, it may be that, you know, they're supposed to be clouds. That is possible. But if they're clouds, they're certainly not flatter. Um, the talent of the, uh, uh, they don't flatter the talent of the, of the artist. If, if they're clouds, they look like ones a four-year-old would draw. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, but uh, look at the other parts of the picture, the, the people's faces, the clothing, the stone archways, the mountains, even the Pope's uh, mitre. It's all a, exquisite. Uh, are you trying to tell me that an artist of, uh, of De Panacchio's caliber couldn't make the clouds look better? There, there's a good chance there's something other than clouds, I believe. Yeah, and if you look closely at the large disc in the foreground, uh, the one just beneath Jesus and Mary, it seems like there, uh, there are white cumulus clouds on top of it. Uh, those actually do look more like the kind of clouds you would expect from an artist 
of the Renaissance. Uh, the great discs in the sky or something else, uh, something to which Dave Panicale is attributing to the occurrence of this miraculous snowfall. And it's enthralling to think that he, like others, learned about some kind of hidden knowledge from humanity's past encounters with possible alien technology. It absolutely is. It's uh, riveting to ponder that, especially when you see the work done by Eert de Gilder in the Netherlands in 1710, uh, the baptism of, of Christ. It's very strange. It's a very strange painting. Uh, this one has what looks just like a Hollywood-style UFO, uh, like right out of a sci-fi movie. It shows a near-perfect circle that has what looks like a white light in the center. Uh, it is in the clouds above John the Baptist and Jesus, who glow in a golden light, and it's beaming four rays of light down on them with a surrounding crowd of people. But why was this craft painted in such a way as to paint it perfectly round? Uh, why not just paint a scene where clouds are parting to open the gateway into heaven, as we see in so many other works? Instead, it's a saucer-shaped aberration that appears like a flying craft aiming four laser beams down onto the site uh, of the baptism. Uh, not exactly like how it's mentioned in the scriptures, right? No, no. But and we're all familiar with Jesus' baptism from the Gospels, which say after he emerged from the water, the heavens were opened and the Spirit of God descended upon him like a dove. So you know, there are volumes written on the hermeneutics of this event, covering everything from the Logos to covenant theology. But there certainly seems to be an extraterrestrial element to this as well. Something is coming down from the sky after it has been opened up and a voice is heard at the same time. So in this work, The Baptism of Christ, it seems the artist is saying something more about this account, perhaps something that is forbidden and cannot be spoken out loud for fear of hearsay. If that were so, he, like many others, may be sharing some esoteric knowledge that was imparted to him by someone from somewhere. And it's tantalizing to think, indeed, it's cogent to think, that based on what we find in the very ancient traditions is that alien that being alien beings traveling from other worlds, and that this is very much part of our religious fabric. Leonardo da Vinci was well known to put hidden messages into his works. Uh, that's how Dan Brown got the whole idea for the da Vinci Code, right? Right. So paintings like the Mona Lisa, I would be okay with saying that the alien face people are claiming to see is actually, uh, what's that word, Dolia. Yeah, which, which yeah, which is the name given to the optical illusion finding of a uh, pattern of human faces within context of something that really is not. So uh, Da Vinci was famous for putting hidden messages in his paintings, but in this case, I, I, I don't think he used special enhanced paint to cover an alien gray. Uh, even though I, I too can see what appears to be an alien head. I can also see a bird on the alien's brow. Now, I thought that was a fluke until I saw his final work in 1513, uh, which was St. John the Baptist's painting. It really does look like an alien gray with the elongated skull and all. So maybe da Vinci was attempting to provide us with some uh, hidden knowledge or something. Uh, could it have been another case of coincidence? It, it could be, but... You have to admit that the mirroring and the filtering and both have provided two pictures now of <laughs> alien grace. So it makes you wonder. 
It does. Yeah. And it, it just seem to be these hidden little clues. Uh, but it's like you said, it's hard to say what they actually mean. Uh, they could mean more than one thing. It, it does raise our curiosity to see what Da Vinci drew or painted as it shows what images were actually in Da Vinci's mind. Did he have religious visions or was he taught occultist wisdom or did he have a close encounter with extraterrestrial beings? And not only him, but all of these other artists as well. Can we apply, we can apply the same line of questions uh, to their works as well. Yeah, and, and then there's the Triumph of Summer, which uh, also appears to have UFOs near the upper left corner. It's a tapestry in Belgium made in uh, 1538. And again, we see the distinctive disc uh, far in the background and floating in the sky. Uh, they clearly do look like UFOs, almost like they are from uh, a movie scene in Battlestar Galactica. Yeah, they do. Uh, very, very peculiar uh, feature in that, that work, that tapestry. And then there's the, the weird-looking apparatus in the painting The Glorification of the Eucharist by Ventura Salambini from the 16th century. Uh, it is in the Church of St. Peter of Mont Montalcino, and it shows this round metal-looking globe or ball of some sort sitting between Jesus and God Father as they each place what appears to be antennas upon it. Um, there's a dove that is seen flying above them, which rep represents the Holy Spirit. So the globe could just be the planet Earth, um, even though the popular belief in the Middle Ages was that the Earth was flat, or it could be the celestial sphere. But if it is that, then what is the meaning of the rods with which they're touching it? Uh, what are they supposed to be doing? It's a peculiar feature, and you, you must wonder what is really being said here. It could just mean the, God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are all-seeing, all-knowing, and all-present. But why the rods? Is Salambini trying to represent omnipotence with the use of what could be a piece of extraterrestrial technology, like a device that has pervaded throughout ancient mythology, say something like we're, we're all familiar with, like the magic wand? Um, again, it's a symbol for something that is not of this world. Yeah, I agree. It is uh, definitely an interesting uh, painting. And of course, one of my favorites is the uh, Nuremberg woodcut from 1561, which shows what can be nothing less than a sky battle between cigar-shaped and ball-shaped vehicles and, and others. One object looked like it crash-landed and caught fire. It uh, was said that the spears were battling each other, and the contemporary explanations weren't making any sense as to what was happening. Uh, an event did occur in the sky, but what was it? Um, another... Uh, event also took place in Basel in 1566, where it said that red and black spheres were reported as fighting each other in aerial battles. Yeah, and that one was uh, printed from a woodcut into a pamphlet that was distributed throughout the town in which it is said at the time that there were these unusual sunrises and sunsets and that the whole thing, the whole thing was described as being of religious significance which in the context we're examining it today could very well mean extraterrestrial significance. Yep. Well, it sure doesn't look like a sun dog. I tell you that. No, <laughs> no, before um, anyone who ever never heard of a sun dog is it's a, an optical um, a phenomenon in the atmosphere, kind of like a rainbow um, that you see these two little uh, glowing lights on opposite sides of the sun it's usually like towards sunset or sunrise um it's, it's a rather rare occurrence 
Um, but uh, it's usually like two. There's one on either side of the sun, so there's not like many of them. Or, or yeah. Present. yeah. Uh, but our, our ancestors have been carving, molding, painting, drawing, and sculpting throughout the ages, strange phenomena they, that they've seen in the sky. So we gave depictions of uh, possible uh, helicopter and submarine type, uh, or we have depictions of possible uh, helicopter and submarine type paintings on ancient Egyptian stones. Um, the Native American and Mesoamerican cultures painted and carved and drew on cliffs and rocks, the uh, effigies of, of what they call star beams. Uh, Sumerian and Babylonian cylinder seals show the gods from above and inside some type of flying chariot with wings and landing gear, like the Assyrian god Asher inside his flying disc. Uh, our ways of conveying images we observe have evolved immensely over thousands of years. That's why drawings and depictions are not as detailed on anything until painting became the new technique. Uh, artistry has evolved significantly, and artists of today are very detailed in their works, just as they were back then. However, there are now many new techniques and, and better tools that are used in creating art. So artists can make things today that have complete realism with, with no uh, ambiguity, if, if, if that is what they chose to do. Um, another very interesting story from back in the beginning of the 1800s, uh, did not come from Western history, but instead it originated in East Asia. It is the story of Utsurobiun, and it is not a religious one. Now, the reason I'm mentioning it and bringing it up in today's episode is because of its depiction uh, drawn on a manuscript called the Hyoryu uh, Kishu, which was one of three stories describing the tale, which involved a strange ship. All three stories uh, show the drawings of the, of the boat to be eerily similar uh, between 1825 to 1844. The boat actually resembles a flying saucer. You can check it out. I'll put pictures on the uh, Facebook page. Uh, the story goes that a strange circular boat floated ashore on the eastern coast of Japan in 1803. Inside the boat was a, meaning, was a beautiful woman uh, having red hair with white extensions. Now, she was described as, as being pale pink or white with red eyebrows and was about 18 to 20 years of age. The ship was about 17 feet by about 10 or 12 feet. It, it had what seemed like a brass or copper type bottom, uh, which was thought to maybe protect it from rocky shorelines. Inside, it had carpet, uh, some food and inscriptions uh, that were unable to be translated. Uh, the young lady tried to tell to uh, tried to communicate, but um, no one understood, and and she was led back out to sea. Now, after reading the tale and seeing the descriptive artwork of, of the ship, you can see where this was most likely a UFO making contact. However, it was probably more like a USO, a unidentified submersible object, than a flying one, simply because it traveled up on the water. Um, what what circular boats were built back then by anyone? Uh, why is it circular, and why does it have a brass or bot or copper bottom? See, see, this matches nothing in in the history that we know about. We encourage you to look at these photographs and decide for yourselves. It, it, it's just amazing ancient artwork. Yeah, it's a very strange and intriguing story as well. 
So mm-hmm. I think the central point that we keep coming back to is that people have always uh, associated strange and unexplainable sightings in the sky with the doings of the supernatural and as being omens or signs of divine will and power. And if at one time long ago, alien spacecraft had continuously crossed through our atmosphere, then the ancients would have witnessed this and would have told stories of how powerful deities, that being the alien travelers, dwelt high above us in the heavens. So when we come across glyphs, reliefs, engravings, sculptures, and paintings that present and revere the otherworldly and the spiritual, we see that our collective traditions harken back to the time when these extraterrestrial ships were flying around. And by putting orbs and discs into these works of art, the creators were emphasizing the higher importance and the godliness of what they were making. Uh, We see it almost universally, Egyptian, Akkadian, Hindu, Buddhist, and Native American. All of them show a strong relationship between those things that happen above with those things that happen here below, just as we also see in Renaissance art. Yeah, exactly. So uh, we hope all of you will check out Facebook and Instagram pages to see the pictures of these art pieces. Uh, we, we put them up there for you to look at. Um, you can Google them, do your internet search. They're very intriguing and, and beautiful to look at. Um, and, you know, and, and, and there are many more besides the ones that we discussed today. Oh, yeah, there are dozens, uh, hundreds more. Uh, yeah, they they're definitely are fascinating and engrossing and baffling. Uh, These things are found in these paintings and tapestries and drawings uh, are uncanny and and mysterious. Um, And and really, there is no definitive explanation for them. They're strange and bizarre. And we hope you give us your thoughts and opinions. Uh, Tell us on our pages what you think, if you agree with us or not. Uh, So that's all we we have for today. Uh, Lori and I enjoyed this topic, and we hope you did as well. Yeah, absolutely. We appreciate all of you for joining us today, and uh, we look forward to being with you again next week. So in our next topic, we're going to look at religion with a meticulous scrutiny, and we'll do so in a theoretical approach, not in a, a doctrinal one, so that we can sift through the cultural and psychological constructs that form it as we now know, and see that it may have come to us through humankind's past relationships with an alien race. Yeah, uh, before civilization began, there was no good and evil. Uh, During the hunter-slash-gatherer times of our early ancestors, human morality was based on the primal drive of a survival of the fittest. If one nomadic tribe attacked another, uh, who was was in the right and who was in the wrong? Now, uh, by modern-day standards of ethics and logic, we will make those kind of judgments, but our prehistoric ancestors did not. If one tribe needed the resources that others possessed, they acted in a way to serve their needs. And of course, the other would do the same. Right. And, and that drive to fulfill our needs and satisfy our wants is still very much a part of our psyche and our bodily nature. But as you said, we have learned to live by laws and morals, uh, much of which is derived from humanity's connection with the spiritual, i.e. the extraterrestrial. So that will definitely be an interesting and thought-provoking topic, as always. Um, So until we're with you again, good thoughts, good words, good deeds. Take care, everyone. Bye, folks. Thanks again for joining us and for supporting the program. Take care.